Well, thank you, Let's give the Lord a hand again for the worship we've had in song this morning. It's been wonderful. Appreciate the hard work of our music ministry and all of our pastors and the areas in which they serve. We had a, a good brief retreat uh, this week, and um, it's good to get away just for a brief amount of time with the uh, uh, other pastors and their spouses in our church. Father, bless now your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. And remind us, Lord, now as we dig into the scripture of your faithfulness to us, displayed in your grace toward us. And we just, Lord, uh, thank you that you are faithful and you're working everything out in our lives for our good and your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would just help us to learn, Lord, today more fully about uh, God, how you have given us grace, uh, Lord, by which our lives can be free to pursue you and, Lord, to be transformed to become like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Pretty regularly on social media, I see posts of people giving before and after shots. Uh, Sometimes there are pictures and stories of people who are losing weight and seeking to take better care of their health. Sometimes there are pictures of the process of people doing some work on their house and uh, showing how their property has changed from one time to another and the work that they have done. And then sometimes uh, we see others that, um, that I like the best, and those are people who have had lives that were destroyed by some sinful behavior like drug use or other things that they were involved in, and now they've come to Christ, and it's been a few years down the road, and they're transformed in how they look, right, and in what they're doing and how they're living out their lives. Sometimes they're going back to school. Sometimes they have married and they have children, and sometimes they share part of their testimony that is on there, and it's something new and something beautiful. Well, this morning in our series, True Lines, we're going to continue to focus on the glorious topic of grace, perhaps the most uh, central concept of the Bible. This is the 15th message of this series, if you're counting, in which we're seeking to get a view of our faith from the ground up. And so this message is the third one on grace, so it's entitled, He Giveth More Grace, the third part of that. And I have one verse I want to begin with today, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17. I hope that you will follow along. We'll be looking at uh, quite a few scriptures today, not telling as many stories. You know, people say people remember your stories more than they do the scripture. My philosophy is when you get in the tough times of life, the stories aren't going to be the thing that carries you through. What's going to carry you through is remembering this book and what it says and learning to live out of it in your lives. That's why we dig into it. That's why we're trying to learn what it says, because it is God's Word. It is the authority. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or a new creature, some translations say. The old has gone, the, excuse me, the new is here. So in our plot line that we're slowly building in this series, we have visited the fact that we have a unique faith that has been handed down 
to us. We started in the book of Jude. The faith once delivered to the saints, Jude says, the half-brother of Jesus, that that's been given to us as God's people. And so we believe that truth, that one true faith about the one true God, and we don't have the right to alter it, change it. It's been handed down to us. We talked about how this faith and its content is unique. We've looked at how this story was written down for us and has been preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures. We did about three messages on the inspiration, the authority, the preservation of Scripture. We've looked at how God made the universe knowing that it would fall into sin and how He made us in His image that we might have an eternal relationship with Him. And we've looked at at how we have broken that relationship in the fall of mankind into sin. And we explored in three or four messages how uh, our sin affects us, what sin is, and how it has affected us uh, in our lives in every way. And through that, we have come to understand that our only hope is the grace of God. Our only hope is if someone greater than us acts on our behalf to do something miraculous and divine for us, and our great God has acted to deliver us. He has acted in grace. Grace is His action by which He has provided for our forgiveness. And we saw last week how the Lord has set His heart on believers in election long before we were ever born to bring us into His grace, forgiveness, and salvation And that's one of the articles in our Baptist faith and message on God's purpose of grace and grace and election. Today, we begin to look at how grace is not only about our forgiveness, though, that we receive, but is also about transformation. It is about freedom and deliverance by the power of God's grace in our lives. By His action, He has not only provided eternal life and forgiveness, but by his action, he has also provided transformation. And so Paul talks about God's word uh, not being without effect, as we read in our scriptural call to worship. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and it was not without effect in my life. God's grace did something in Paul as well as for Paul. And that's what we're focusing upon in the next few messages. And that idea is summarized in this one verse that we read. And it can provide the foundation for where we'll be going in these next few uh, sermons. And we'll begin to get to some very practical applications about grace, how grace flows out into my life. And so we'll be getting into some uh, real down-to-earth things in this part of the series. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says that if any person is in Christ, He uses the phrase new creations, new creatures. Well, that phrase, new creations, takes us back to the fact that there was a first creation, right? And that it fell into sin and into ruins. You and I are enfolded into that first creation from the time of our births. We live in a fallen state with fallen minds, captive wills. Various alienations that we looked at between ourselves and God, between people, and even within ourselves because we are fragmented, broken people. But God has acted in Christ, the second Adam, by which to bring about ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. And that begins to take place now 
by God making new creations, new people who are being transformed to live in that coming new world. And so Paul here is talking about the inbreaking of the future kingdom, and it starts with us. If any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, when you and I go out into the world, we see the rest of the creation is still fully broken and fallen. It's full of death and destruction decay, all those things that are going on. But Paul is saying, no, there's now a force that's beginning to work against that inertia of the brokenness of the world, and it's pulling us in the other direction, and it is the grace of God that's working in the lives of his new people. As one scholar put it, to be reconciled to God in Christ is an act of sovereign restoration and creative power that is as magnificent and miraculous as the creation of the world. So our faith is not simply about my getting forgiven over here. And that's a wonderful thing, to be forgiven and know I'm going to heaven. But it's not simply about, well, I made a decision and I got saved in Bible school or somewhere along the way. And glory to God, someday I'm going to go to heaven. And it's about over here. No, there's a, this is what's in between. This is something that takes place now. And our faith is about now and what God wants to do. And so our faith is God starting now to build his new kingdom. We are birthed now as new citizens into that kingdom, created new. And so we begin the process of being transformed to be like Jesus. And Paul uses that word from which we get metamorphosis to talk about that we are being transformed and changed. We, we're being remade by his grace into ultimate perfection of character. And again, that is taking place now by God's grace. And so today, just some big takeaways then I want to share with you about being new creations. These are some important things to see about our lives, how we begin to look at our lives and look at ourselves and look at God to see how this begins to flow out in everyday life, how this will eventually affect how I do my marriage, how I raise my kids, how I do my job, how I handle my thoughts, my emotions, my temptations, all those things, how I attempt to serve God. These three things I want to share with you today help us have that foundation to begin to look at life in the right way so we can act from that. So what are some big takeaways then from this point about being new creations in Christ? Well, first of all, the Bible teaches us that as being new creatures in Christ, it says that we have been given new hearts. And so when God calls us in salvation, as we talked about last week in election, He not only forgives us of our sins, adopts us, justifies us, gives us Christ's righteousness as a gift, He also gives us a new heart. And he told us in the Old Testament that that would be one of the features of the coming kingdom when it would break into the world. All the way back to the letter or the, the book of Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament. Listen to what God says about what's going to happen to us. If you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so God is telling Israel about this coming new thing that's going to take place. And it does take place ultimately in the coming of Christ and the building of his new people. And he says there that, well, my new people, I'm going to give you a new heart. Now, obviously, when we read the word heart in the Bible, and it's used over a thousand times, we should not think of it, usually, as you read those words, about our physical hearts. Rather, it's being used symbolically to point to the deepest spiritual part of our lives, who we are in the deepest moral and spiritual part of our natures. And the Bible says, in our fallen condition... Our hearts were corrupted. They were resistant to God. That's why he talks about having a heart of stone. Resistant to God. Not desiring to follow God. Not willing and desiring to bend toward God and what he desires and his perfect character. And that's why the prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitfully wicked beyond all things. How can anyone know it or understand it? That's the natural human condition, the natural human heart in our inmost being. Jesus noted himself the corruption of our hearts before we come to follow him. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, you remember what Jesus said about the heart. He talked a lot about the heart. And he said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. And so he says another place that out of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. So our hearts are corrupted. We need a new heart. And when God saves us, he does a work to transform that innermost part of our lives. That's part of the gift. Not only is there the gift that I'm saved and on my way to heaven now, but I have a new heart. God has done something miraculous within me. He gives that to me as a gift. It's part of the gift of salvation. And if you were listening when we read out of Ezekiel, that is tied to the renewed work of the Holy Spirit. He he says he will give the Spirit to to work in those hearts, to write the law in the hearts. Because the work of Christ to save us and give us right standing with God, because of that, we can now have the presence of God's Spirit in our lives without being consumed. Before I knew Christ, if I really was close to God and saw the Holy Spirit who really came upon me and all of His power, I'd be destroyed because of my sin. But in Christ, I've been forgiven, I've been covered, and now God's given me a new heart to the point that the Spirit draws near and He takes up residence within me to begin to work and to empower that new heart, that new person that I am. And so if you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 14, I told you we'd be looking at a lot of Scripture today. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, the writer says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What a great verse in the Bible. By that one sacrifice of Jesus, when we trusted in him, we are perfect forever. That isn't how God sees us. We're fully accepted in Christ made perfect forever. But notice he says, those who are being made holy. My standing with God, I'm perfect forever. 
But now God is in the process of changing me, transforming me, being made perfect, right? Being made holy by that power working within me. And then the writer says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. So over here when I get saved, my sins and lawless acts are remembered no more as far as being held against me. But now that I am in that state, God is working within me. This writer says in Hebrews, by the Spirit writing the commandments upon my heart, this new heart, he says that I'm being transformed, I'm being made holy in time right now. And so in the deepest part of our beings, when we come to Christ, something divine has taken place to begin to transform us, and the Spirit is working to carry out that transformation. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verses 17 and 18. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, where is the Spirit of the Lord in this context? He's living within us now. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. This is an allusion or back to where Moses looked upon the glory of God on the mountain. But now God's living in us. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into what? His image. You realize you're being transformed into His image. Changed, metamorphosized into being like Christ. With ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, we have a a person in our congregation, and some of his family is here, and he's just received a new physical heart through a literal transplant several days ago. And he's getting stronger each day, and hopefully uh, he'll soon be home. And there is a miraculous feel to what has taken place there, something so huge to give somebody a new lease on life who was hanging really by a thread in some ways because his heart was just was shown was shot and we're rejoicing in that and we need to pray and I know this family's praying for the family who lost someone in the midst of that as well but you know that new heart that our friend received will have nothing to do with the character Nothing to do with the emotions or the spiritual nature of this person who received that physical heart. Nothing. It's just a pump. But when we come to Christ by using this imagery, the Bible is saying we've received a new spiritual heart that is now soft toward God, inscribed by God with His will, empowered by the Spirit, with the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's working within us, and we can be transformed in time and eventually for eternity. Now, do you know you have a new heart like that? You get up every day and thank God that you've got a new heart, that he's done that miraculous work in your life, and that you can begin to live out of that truth of who you are, what the Bible says about you and begin to claim that 
and preach that to yourselves. We have a new heart as followers of Jesus. But then a second thing about this being made new creations in Christ that we need to see is that we also have now been given renewed minds. The Bible teaches that as new creations, our minds have been renewed. Your mind, if you're a follower of Jesus, has something going on in it that people who do not know Jesus, they do not have that. Now, the New Testament has much to say about the condition of the minds of those who don't know Christ, what we were before we were shown the grace of God. And so in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul talks about humanity in this way. He says, for although they knew God, they knew about God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile or empty, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, that's another thing about the mind, isn't it? They claimed to be wise they became fools. That's the declaration of the spiritual heart of God, God's declaration about the heart and mind of the spiritual person who, or the person without Christ. They claimed to be wise and became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And down in verse 28, Paul says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. So man rejected God in his mind. His mind is fallen and darkened, and in that hardness toward God, God turns humanity to run into deeper and deeper alienation from him in the mind. And so as we think about our lives before Christ, our perspectives were so skewed due to our fallenness. Our consciences are crippled. Even if they've been somewhat trained, our consciences are crippled. They're not a good guide, ultimately, in life. Our minds are drawn to the alluring things of this world. We're often deceived by the enemy. And that's why, and I'm not going to read this one for time's sake, but you can look up 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. Paul talks about false teachers, and he says they go out making this look good. And he says, no wonder that the devil himself, right, appears as an angel of what? Light. But he's deceptive in that. And people fall for that deception. He can make evil appear very innocuous, and people are drawn toward what will be destructive in time and eternity. That's what our minds are like apart from Christ. I, I think one great illustration of this is from Tolkien's work, The Lord of the Rings, when Gollum is drawn to the, uh, the golden ring of power. And even though over time it destroys him. Originally his name had been Schmeagel. And he killed someone to get this golden ring of power. And now as Gollum, he is mentally fragmented, as you see this character in the books and in the movies. He's physically deformed by this ring. And yet to him, he calls it my what? My precious. My precious. He can't get enough of it. He can't take his eyes off of it. But on the other hand, when you hear his character sometimes, he wants to be rid of it. And so he is just captured by it. He's imprisoned. 
And others who see this ring of power, remember in the story, they are drawn to it as well when they think it will make them great, but in reality it's only going to destroy them. That's a powerful picture of the fallen mind. And perhaps that's Tolkien's point. But in Christ Jesus, praise his name. You and I have a new power within us that begins to renew our minds. Our minds are lifted out of the fog of spiritual darkness and given light. That's what the Bible means is that we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son or into the kingdom of light. We no longer have to be corrupted in our minds as a matter of principle. And this is revealed by the fact that God now tells us to do something to develop that new mind. And so just a couple of passages for time's sake. Romans 12, 1 and 2. What a great uh, couple of verses in our Bibles. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that is, in view of what God's done for you in mercy and in grace and the standing that you have. He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But he says, be transformed. And that's the word uh, for metamorphosis there. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And similarly, he says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, similar idea when he says in verse uh, 20 through 23, he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learn, that he's been talking about how the Gentiles live in their darkened minds. That's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude or the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We've been created, new creations, for righteousness and holiness. And God gives us new minds toward that end. And we're told to begin to develop those minds. And the assurance is for us here that we have the power for that to take place. God has done a work in us to give us a new perspective. And he is at work within us. In Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13 says, It is God who works in you both now to will and to do his good pleasure. So we have renewed minds because of what Christ has done and given to us in grace. We've been given new hearts. Do you get up every day and think about those two things in your life again? Because of the grace of God in my life, I have a new power within me, living within me, a new heart in the deepest part of who I am that is a gift of God. It is a miracle of God. He's living within me. People without Christ do not have that in their lives. Do you get up every day understanding God has renewed your mind and His Spirit is working now through you as you offer that to Him to give you power to live differently, as this text says in Ephesians, toward righteousness and toward holiness. Well, that's what the Bible says about us. 
And then the final thing I want you to see quickly this morning is that we also now have released wills. By God's grace, and that experience, he's released our wills, set them free. If you remember, we noted a few weeks ago that in our fallenness, we no longer have free wills. That is, our wills are affected by sin. We love our fallenness, and we live in it, in our sin. We're not uh, created by God in some way that, uh, that we, we can't come to God just as a matter of faith that we can't overcome that thing of our fallen natures, but rather the teaching is that in our fallenness, our wills are bound and affected by our sin, and we love darkness more than light, and we won't, in and of ourselves, turn to the Lord except by His grace. So we're responsible for our sin and our lostness, even though our wills are bound or imprisoned, and they stay that way because in our own lives, we want it that way. Were it not for God's grace, we would be hopeless. And our story is that God has acted in grace to save us, to forgive us. He begins to call us. He gives us new birth. And he also sets our wills free. In a way, they're not free before we come to know Jesus. That's Philippians 2 again. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. One of the great hymns of the faith was written by Charles Wesley in 1738. It is called, And Can It Be? And I still love to hear this hymn sung by God's people in a large group of Christians who really know what it means and singing it from the depths of their heart. It's got a great tune to it, but it's such a powerful song lyrically. And the fourth stanza gets to what we're talking about here. Our wills are free. The words are long, my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, that is God's eye, diffused or sent a quickening ray. That's God's grace coming to us. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What great truth. We are set free in Christ. We are free now to be able to follow Christ, whereas before we could not. We're free now to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're free to pursue righteousness. And Paul talks about that in Romans 6, verses 15 through 18, where he is talking about that freedom we have in Christ. He says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But listen to this verse. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you were bound up with that. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So our lives can now develop willingly and joyfully in holiness, living truly to please him who has purchased us by his blood. So every day, I would encourage you to get up and say, you know, I, I have been given a new heart. And it's a miracle, but it's there. I have a mind that has be, been made new by the Lord, and it can develop to be more Christ-like. 
And I have a will that has been set free and empowered by God to pursue righteousness, to really move toward becoming like Jesus. And all of this is by God's grace. As we come today to a time of commitment, I'll ask Kevin and Darla to come on up. I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just want to say a couple of things here and we're going to sing. You know, our faith is not then about outwardly conforming our lives to follow some rules. Our faith is about God forgiving us for sinfully breaking his law, not keeping it perfectly, sending his son to keep the law perfectly for us. Dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, rising from the dead, and in his grace he forgives us, sets us free, and begins a transformation from within. And we rest in that forgiveness, his grace, his acceptance. That does not change. And now he empowers us to live for him with grateful hearts. So when I follow Christ now, there's something new within me. And my life is not one of trying to just conform to a bunch of outward rules that are there. No, my story is there's something new within me and it's producing something within me. And one thing is called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Say it with me. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control. There's no law against these things. That's fulfilling the law. And so you and I can relax in the grace of God, the forgiveness that we have that's not going to change, and now we can believe those things about ourselves, that he's producing this, and cooperate with him toward growing into what he would have us to be. It's not about performance. Paul noted he was by what he was by the grace of God, and he says, based on that, I give everything to serve the Lord, not trying to keep the rules, but out of gratitude. Further, as we come to the point of commitment, I just want you to remember this means, too, that you and I do not have to remain burdened down and defeated by what has ensnared us before. We now have power to change. I can overcome addictions that destroy. I don't have to be bound by some genetic predisposition or some broken way of living that came down through my family, what people call generational sins. I don't have to be a prisoner to the scars and abuse of my past that has shaped my mind and crushed my heart and made me feel like I'm in chains. I don't have to live in guilt over the past that is with me every day when I wake up. Paul says, I used to kill Christians. But he says, I am today what I am by the grace of God. And it's because of that freedom I have. He says, I work hard for the Lord because I'm free and I love him. I'm thankful for what he has done. And as we sing today, maybe some of you here, if you haven't made a commitment to Christ, you need to receive him for salvation. But know you'll also be given power and be set free. If you're living your faith as a performance, quit looking at your faith in this way. Begin to live on the basis of grace. You're free. And serve out of that freedom with gratitude, knowing you have a new heart, mind and a will that has been set free so today I ask God to empower you through this new heart this renewed mind this free will to overcome those areas of life that hamper you that may be sinful that are less than what he desires it may be scars from your past this is good news today good news of what God has done for us through his grace